You're listening to Podcasting Paradigms with David Truss, and this is my Ed Camp West reflection. Walking along the roads, carrying these stones, looking for some place to rest our weary bones, tearing stories and we're singing songs and we create the place we might belong. I'm currently driving back from a great day at EdCamp West, uh, the SFU version. The EdCamp West was actually held as an online session at uh, University of Victoria and also at the SFU downtown um, campus. And um, I thought I would share some of my uh, reflections and thoughts and put down some ideas around uh, what I learned, and I think uh, the, the first thing I, the first thing is sort of a self-reflection on my own way of learning. I tend to be a very vocal learner, so I contribute a lot in conversations. Sometimes I think too much. I'm reminded of the story of the visiting professor that went to see a um, a Buddhist uh, monk, and the visiting professor starts to expunge all he knows about Buddhism and the monk and the professor sit down for tea and when the monk starts to pour the the tea for the visiting professor he pours until it's full and then he continues to pour and continues to pour until the professor can't contain himself and he says what are you doing you're you're spilling the, the tea all over the place and the monk then says to the, the visiting professor, like this coffee mug, you're full of ideas. And until you're ready to empty your cup, there isn't an opportunity to put anything else in. And to be honest, um, I think sometimes I go to things like EdCamp and I contribute a lot about what I know, but I don't end up adding value necessarily for myself and maybe not even for other people because if I'm giving sort of an answer to something I sort of kill the conversation and so it's a hard balance of me needing to fill the need to think out loud and speak out loud to formulate my own ideas and me feeling like I sometimes take over a conversation or a direction of of conversation in a group so that's my own personal reflection on myself and things I need to kind of improve on I think in sessions like this um, four other ideas uh, that I have one is around um, Twitter um, and once again I came off as uh, someone who you know I even admitted it drink the Twitter Kool-Aid and just love it there, there was a teacher who said, you know, I would never be on Twitter and talked about a UBC um, educational leader, I don't know what position, that talked about how, you know, Twitter's a tool for negative comments and community and putting a permanent record of negative things out there and so that she would never use it because it's such a negative tool. And, and that just strikes me because, I mean, uh, the, the reference I gave is there's a lot of crap on television um, and yet you know, television still exists and we can't hide it from people. Um, it's in every household, basically. There's probably a uh, few people that don't have a TV, but most do. 
Um, and to me, Twitter is such an amazing educational tool. And, and it, it frustrates me to hear people pick out the negative parts of it and not recognize the power of it. Um, my wife is an amazing educator. She probably will never be on Twitter. And that doesn't take away from her being an amazing educator. You don't have to be on Twitter. Uh, but at the same time, I think that you have to recognize that it is an amazing tool and an opportunity for professional development. And we have to find that happy balance where we're not ostracizing people for not being on Twitter, uh, but we're also not ostracizing Twitter. Um, and so uh, I think that that uh, it just provides such an amazing opportunity for educators to do any time learning and to get support in a way that they can't always get in the community or to build community um, such as uh, they have in the Surrey School District with SD36 Learn where there's an amazing community of people who are sort of buying in and offering support for each other. Um, Next up would be the idea of uh, this was uh, put together as an opportunity for learning for both uh, K-12 and higher ed um, teachers, professors, uh, and community members. And I think that there needs to be a lot more room for this kind of dialogue between the two different levels. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm tired of hearing elementary teachers preparing their kids for middle school, middle school teachers preparing their kids for for high school, and high school preparing their kids for universities, and you know, universities have to prepare the kids for real life. Well, if we're going to make school meaningful, then school has to be real life, you know, and I love the, uh, I love that idea and that quote, and the first time I heard it was from Chris Lehman. Um, you know, it's not preparation for real life. High school is real life. And I think that uh, um, given that, there are key things around being um, a student no matter what level you're at. It doesn't matter if you're elementary or if you are post-secondary. The, the simple fact is that learners are learners. Um, and we have things to learn from each other as we try to teach them. Uh, I, I think that um, as an ambulance passes, it's going to get a little noisy here for a second. I think that we face many of the same challenges at every level. We have a diversity of students' um, starting points uh, around what they learn um, and what they already know. And there's that amazing diversity in a classroom, whether you are teaching, uh, you know, basic sentence structure to a grade one or grade two, or um, fractions and negative integers to a grade eight student, or, you know, thermodynamics in a, in a higher level university class. It doesn't matter what level we are, we are all struggling with the idea of um, how do you meet the individual needs of different students and, and support that? And especially when we start to look at different assessment methods and different ways of, um, different ways of measuring what success is. Uh, when you have that diversity, you have to make sure that you know, there's a minimum amount that each student understands and is able to do. 
but also want to give them freedom to sort of explore and, and have some uh, opportunities to learn things that truly interest them. So basically what I'm saying is um, I think too often the conversation between higher ed and K-12 is in different rooms trying to accomplish the same goals. And why aren't we focusing more attention to that? I think the amazing bridge for that is for us to look at um, teacher education and really making sure that teacher education programs uh, immerse the students in their in their program into true inquiry-based learning and true project-based learning where they are responsible for sharing and, and contributing to the learning of the entire community. And if we have our student teachers modeling that, they will, and seeing the power of it, they are far more likely, I think, to bring that to a classroom, um, even if their teacher sponsor isn't someone who necessarily advocates for that. Um, and so that's something that I, I think we need to work on. The um, along that line uh, and completely related is the idea of the, as, uh, the teacher as learner or lead learner. And uh, there was quite a few there were a, quite a few conversations around the teacher as um, as that key learner who. It, you know, we know what we find really powerful and enriching learning experiences, and are we transferring that to the students? But uh, uh, related to that, um, what is it that what is it that we can do to, to model the idea of, and this came up a lot, failure as being part of a process of learning? And I, I just don't think we're good enough at doing that yet. We talk about it. We give examples, you know, Michael Jordan not making his high school basketball team. We go on and on, but the actual in-class experiences around what it is that, um, that we can do to promote as process that failure, we can learn tremendously from failure. And, you know, I guess the piece I'm, that's missing is and get credit for it and actually you know try something so big that you're going to fail but you're going to have a tremendous learning experience in the process it seems that we provide lessons and activities where we know what the outcome is going to be and we know what success looks like and we can paint that for students and I think we've done that piece really well I think the next step is prepare them to ask really big questions where, um, you know, uh, Stephen Whiffen, uh, when we started the Inquiry Hub, he, he was the one that said, I think that every portfolio, when you leave uh, the Inquiry Hub, um, part of that presentation should be my epic failure. And I just love that idea that that would be a part of something you show off at the end of your high school career. Because if you think of it, if a student, whether they are challenged or they are the most brilliant student you've ever met, if a student has only ever met success and been able to accomplish every task they've ever been able to do, needed to do, not able to, but needed to do in school, um, they weren't pushed hard enough, plain and simple. They just weren't pushed hard enough. If they met success with everything they did, then I would say the program was a failure because the program didn't challenge them hard enough, did not push them to the point where they actually were, you know, 
at the very tip of their zone of proximal development where, you know, if they just pushed a little harder, maybe they still would not have made it, but they learned a tremendous amount in the process. So we need, we need to figure that out. We need to um, celebrate failures in a way where we don't just say, you know, and I'm not talking about, you know, half the class getting an F. I'm talking about an individual project where a student knows that they did everything possible with the support they needed and the structures to make to accomplish something and yet it still was not accomplishable. And so um, that's something that I think is, is missing and, and if we can figure out a way to do that in a meaningful way, what we'll be doing is actually inviting students to learn what it means to be a learner what it means to um, not understand something and to follow through um, no matter what and, and to persevere and to keep trying. And there's no way to learn to keep trying if on every time you've tried a second or third time you, you reach a success. I, I would argue the bar is just too low. So that's it. And the, the final piece that I, I definitely think from... Um, the talks that, that we had at this um, um, at Camp West, uh, there was a lot of talk um, in the in two of the three conversations I was in uh, around personalization, and um, I shared um, um, a link to uh, um, I shared a link to personalization versus individualization um, and individualization. Personalization, differentiation, and individualization. Uh, Barbara and Kathy uh, uh, over at personalizedlearning.com, I believe it is, or it might be .org, have um, have a great chart, um, and I shared that. But we t we talked a lot about well, what is personalization, um, and sort of the difference between uh, making learning, you know, doing anything and everything to uh, make the education fit a student, versus meaningfully engaging a student in the learning in a, in a more personal and even informal way. Um, and around personalization, I, I think the biggest piece that seems to be a challenge is the challenge around um, assessment. And when you start to personalize the learning, how do you make the assessment meaningful and still um, possible by, by a teacher who um, is, is trying to, you know, make, I guess you could say accommodations, but I think accommodations is the wrong word. Accommodations looks more at the individualization of programs as opposed to the personalization. Um, but, but that assessment piece is, is a huge challenge around personalization. And it's, it just, it can't happen um, without student input into, into what assessment looks like. Um, it can be students designing the rubric, it can be self-assessment, a combination of both, it can be something else. But what it needs to be is that personalization, I think a big piece of it needs to be that the assessment is, is somehow personalized where the student has empowerment to say, if I'm going to be measured on this project, I have some say on what matters to me that is being measured. And so I think that's a big piece that, um, that needs to be explored a lot more. Um, that also speaks to the idea of what is the role of a teacher in, um, 
in personalization, and and I, I, I'm harped on. I harp a lot on the, the idea that I know Chris Kennedy shares it a lot. That we have to do things differently. It, it's not, you know, it's not. We can't just keep doing um, the old thing and add uh, technology, add personalization, add pieces onto what a teacher does. We have to replace things, um, and I, I think that's a really powerful. Uh, thing for us to, to look at um, as we look at, at the role of the teacher that we're not trying to do everything in the old way and then tack on all these things about um, personalization and, and embracing and engaging in tech, meaningful use of technology um, we, we have to make sure that we are replacing and not adding on to um, the other and final piece that I'll close off on um, is around uh, personalization and looking at the diversity of ability. Um, and I, I think that this is where things really have to get more personalized because we, we have to make sure that when a student isn't successful because of capability, um, that we're providing the proper scaffolding to make them successful. But that same scaffolding it, that, well, there's a benefit first. The benefit is the scaffolding you create for the weakest student will often support other students as well. And so when you invest that time for the one student, if you're doing it well and planning it well, you're actually providing support for a number of different students. Um, so that's the, the benefit. The, the, the kind of cost to scaffolding is scaffolding can be extremely limiting. And I've talked to Gar Gord Holden, who does a lot of things in virtual worlds, and he says that, you know, I, I don't give my students that excel any criteria anymore um, because when I do, it limits them. They do what it takes to meet the criteria and they seldom do more. But when I just open up the barriers and let them just choose what they want to do, the students who will excel will far exceed my expectations. And that's a great point by, by Gord. Um, I think too often we put, um, you know, we say here's the rubric, here's the minimum that you have to do to get an A. And what we get is the minimum you have to do in order to get an A. Or the minimum you, you have to do in order to get a pass. And I think that often that criteria, um, you know, as, as my friend Gary Kern says, uh, he was the first one to introduce me to the idea that good is the enemy of great. When something is good enough, I don't have to make it great because it's good enough. And so I think that that's something that we, we, we need to look at. I think scaffolding for students who don't need it can very often be uh, something that limits that good from being great um, and sort of puts a cap on what they essentially need to do to get the grade. Um, the other end of that is there are students who absolutely need scaffolding and support. How do we provide that? How do we give students that just enough that they're, they're in that engagement zone? We're not spoon-feeding them, but we're also not just um, um, leaving them to be frustrated or to flounder and to be unsuccessful because they don't have the support structures they need. I think that is the true sense of what personalization is now is, is is looking at how much support we give while we empower students to do more of what they're interested in but still tying them into the community of, of learners um, where you know they're helping to teach the content and their contributors that have a meaningful piece to, to, to give uh, related to topics that they truly are interested in so there is my uh, almost 20 minute mind dump 
on what I think it, uh, what I kind of got out of EdCam West. When we met, I told you my story. Now I sat right when you told yours. Made our lives up out of some inarticulate perfect glory. And laid our rocks on the opposite shore. 